Welcome to this new episode of our Sotoyal Talks. Today, we're going to try together to debunk a few Sotoyal myths. Because if you are inside this community, or if you are a beginner, or even if you are a more seasoned Sotoyalist, you know that we have to deal with a lot of myths, with a lot of do's and don'ts, and with a lot of preconceived ideas on how to wear things, or what to wear and when to wear it. So I'm going to try to debunk a few myths, starting with one of the most common myths that is current in the general public. It's very, very usual to hear that, specifically for people who are not inside our community. I've heard so many times people saying, oh, I'm going to buy my first suit and my first suit is going to be a black suit. It's funny that I'm talking about this today because I actually bought my first black suit, the first black suit of my life, three weeks ago. I asked my tailor, Lorenzo Chiffonelli in Paris, to craft me a black suit. I can tell you he almost swallowed his tongue because it was so strange for him that Hugo Jacomet was asking him to buy a black suit. I consider that a black suit is not necessary in a man's wardrobe. But let's put this into perspective. I think I've been reaching a level of sartorial maturity. Uh, this black suit is probably my suit number, I don't know exactly, 25 or maybe 30. I don't know exactly. I have a massive wardrobe, as you can imagine. So now I feel I reach this maturity to be able to pull off a black suit because it's a difficult suit to pull off. But if you are at the beginning of your sartorial journey, at the, the beginning of your sartorial education, please don't buy a black suit because a black suit, it's very specific. A black suit should be worn at funerals or if you really want to pull it off properly, you'll have to be very trained on how to pull it with a white shirt or with a different kind of shirt and which style. It's kind of tricky. It's a color which is not a color and it's one of the most difficult suit to really pull off in an elegant way. So please don't buy a black suit as a first suit. That's a myth. Second myth that is extremely frequent in the general public, but also this time in the sartorial world is that wear only I remember my own mother saying to wear only black or gray socks and make sure that your socks are matching the color of your pants. Well, between you and me, if this was the truth, uh, I think I will not be part of this movement and I will dress, I will not put so much th thought into the way I dress because wearing only black and gray socks is the most boring thing in life. I don't mean that socks are the most important accessory in your sartorial arsenal, but since I would say 10 years, and specifically since five years, socks have been becoming a fantastic accessory in the uh, arsenal of a gentleman. There's fantastic companies like Mechaussette Rouge, for example, who are in France, who are distributing fantastic Italian brands like Brecciani, for example, which is one of my favorite brands in socks. And you will discover that you can play with colors, with pattern, and add a little bit of creativity. Of course, this is not the first accessory you show. You're not going to enter a room and, you know, take your pants 
and, and say, okay, look at my socks, how creative they are. But you will be very surprised how um, at the fact, with the fact that so many people will notice, will notice your socks. It means that your socks are visible. Of course, if you wear a black pants sometimes, it's better to be a little bit toned down. But this is an area of the body that has been totally um, underused. And you can be very creative on how you pair your shoes, your socks with your pants. I will dedicate maybe later in the season a specific um, um, episode of Sotorial Talks on that because there's many things to do on that. But please unleash your creativity. And today the market of socks uh, uh, it's, it's very dynamic and we have fantastic socks that will make you very happy and very joyful. The third myth I would like to debunk once for all is that the double-breasted suit makes you look older than you are. This is absolutely not true. Of course, many people have in mind the image of this old businessman from the 80s with a little bit of a beer belly trying to button his double-breasted suit after a big and massive lunch for business. But this era is over. The double-breasted suit is everywhere. The only thing with a double-breasted suit, I've been covering this subject many times, is that it has to be well cut. A badly cut double-breasted suit is an immediate social catastrophe, and it's just so easy to see. You look in the mirror, you put it on if it's even ready to wear, you immediately see. But when it fits, a double-breasted suit is a stylistic statement, and it has nothing to do with looking old or looking like you from the past. No, no, no. This is an absolute myth. Now we're going to deep dive a little bit more in some more uh, precise detail that people, even in the sartorial crowd, uh, believe in and that are total myth. And one of my favorites is when people speak about um, their working buttonhole on their sleeves. So many people now say that, oh, you have to have working buttonholes on your sleeve. This is the sign of a custom-made suit. This is the sign of a very high-level suit. Well, the problem is that it's not true. The problem now is that so many people want to appear like they know things. They are in the know. They know how to dress, and they maybe have access to bespoke. They, they normally buy a suit of the rack with unfunctional buttonhole. They go to an iteration tailor, and they ask the tailor to just open the buttons on the sleeve. And they make sure that when they wear their jacket, they're very proud to unbutton one or two buttons to show others that precisely it is a custom-made suit, because look, my uh, buttons on my sleeve are open. Well, I can tell you First of all, that in the bespoke arena and the people who are really dressing bespoke and made to measure, they usually don't use their working buttonhole because it goes without saying that a bespoke suit has working buttonholes. Secondly, when you show too much of your working buttonhole, it means that you want to show. And this is the exact reverse of an elegance attitude. Normally, in this kind of community, you try not to show it. And the third thing I would like you to, to know is that a working buttonhole is not a sign of a handmade suit, it's a sign of a handmade buttonhole. The history behind 
functioning sleeve button is very simple to understand. Back in the years when the gentlemen wanted to wash their hands, they didn't want to re remove their coat. They would uh, unbutton their uh, sleeve and roll up their sleeve in order to wash their hand without putting water on their jacket. It's very simple to understand. And the second use is more uh, an aesthetic use, is that when you are wearing French cuff with um, cufflinks, sometimes it's uh, easier to have one button unbuttoned in order, if you want, to show your beautiful cufflinks or to have them uh, being worn with ease. The next myth I want to debunk once more. One more time, it's more from the general public because in the sartorial crowd, everybody knows that you should not do that. But please, please, please promise me if you look at this program that you will never match your pocket square with your tie. I know that Sonia has covered or will cover this subject in a um, beginner episode of Sotorial Talk, but please don't make this basic mistake. And I've seen so many people who would have looked so great, they were so elegant, and they make this small mistake. Having a kind of a red tie with a red pocket square, this is a catastrophe. Uh, so please don't, this is a myth. Never, never match. And basically, if I step back and take this subject from a broader perspective, Matching is one of the most dangerous things in the sartorial approach. The more you match, the more people will notice you put effort and the less you're going to be naturally elegant. So try not to match everything with everything. I think it's a universal law. Symmetry is sometimes when it's pushed too far, is boring. And this is where the human touch uh, the, the flair, your creativity can express yourself. If you do everything symmetrical, and even if you try to match everything with everything, you will become something, um, you will end up with something not interesting from a sartorial standpoint. The next point I want to cover now may be highly controversial, and if you want to have a discussion about that, please don't hesitate, as you know, to contribute on the debate in the Sotoral Toad Commons just under me. As you know that we uh, receive a lot of comments and we do our best with Sonia to answer to most of them, hundreds of them. It's common knowledge. It's almost, I would say, uh, becoming snub to um, use the quotes of Coco Chanel or Yves Saint Laurent and all these people that have said once in their life that Fashion was something transitory. The fashion phase where style is eternal or style remains. I'm sure you've, been, you've heard these quotes many, many times. We've been hearing these quotes so many times that we don't even remember exactly who said it. Somebody said it's, it's Yves Saint Laurent. Some other people say it's Coco Chanel. It's probably both. I've been among the writers and the commentators of classic style to be in full agreement with that, and even to advocate uh, to that, to explain that fashion is something, you know, like Oscar Wilde was saying, fashion is something so ugly that you have to change it every um, six months. And I've been explaining that style was something eternal and there is something timeless in a classic style. But today, 
I must admit that after 15 years of work in this field and 15 years of observing, commenting, researching, trying, and really deep diving in this world, I can say, even if it shocks you, that style is not eternal and style is not timeless. First of all, just look at the history. Uh, when Baldassare Castiglione, the inventor of the Sprezzatura, has been writing his book, The Book of the Courtier, in 1528, the style of the era was a little bit different, don't you think? People were wearing high colors. People were wearing high heels. I mean, men were wearing high heels and these kind of baby diapers in silk. And they were even wearing wigs and they were have makeup like a woman. Do you think that we still have a little bit of that? No, sir. No, we don't. So it means that style is not eternal. Of course, I take something ex excessive, something. But even look at something more close to us. Do you think, imagine a party in 1974 in the house of Tommy Nutter where Ringo Starr will be here with his massive lapels and extravagant patterns and uh, Tommy Nutter, this designer uh, on Savile Row who've been uh, the, 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 the clothier of the Beatles and the Rolling Stone and all these people. Imagine that Fred Astaire or Gary Cooper enter a party here where everybody had massive lapels and very fancy colors. Do you think that the sobriety of Gary Cooper or Cary Grant or Fred Astaire would be looked upon as timeless? No, sir. It would be looked upon as, oh, this guy is dressing like my grandfather. The difference between fashion and style is not that one fades and the other is eternal. The difference is that the span of time of fashion is the season. Every six months, the fashion is changing. The span of time of style is, in my opinion, the decade. That is to say, if you look 10 years behind, you will notice that nothing is eternal and then the style has changed. And yes, we also have trends in style. Let me give you a few examples. Between 2000 and 2010, that is to say, hmm, it's, can you believe that 2010 is already almost a decade ago? It's unbelievable. But between 2000 and 2010, the tendency, even on classic style, was to put, for example, the notch on a normal jacket very high, which was, by the way, a very good solution for shorter men. And I've been among the people to encourage people to put the notch of the lapel very high. The problem is that this rule, this uh, thing has been going a little bit uh, too much. And then we ended up in 2010 with some notch that were so high that I were almost on the shoulder. It's too much. Look now since two or three years, all the bespoke tailors in the world, all the sartoria in the world, the notches are going a little bit lower and lower and lower and lower like they were in the 1940s and 1950s. So you understand, it's like a cycle, nothing is eternal. And style has the same thing as fashion. It's not eternal, it's phase, it's change, and it's normal, and thank God, otherwise it would be boring if we would all dress like our grandfather constantly all our lives. Today, I believe, I reach a sartorial maturity to be able 
to have this stand in front of you and to say that style is eternal is not true. Permanent style is a lie. On the same subject, I've been among the people who were shouting, screaming out loud to somebody, fashion is a collective thing and style is a personal thing. Yes, that's true, but not always. Once again, I want to challenge this idea. It doesn't mean that I became a fashionista all of a sudden and I'm uh, totally in awe with the work of some fashion designers. No, 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 no. My style, it took me 15 years to build it progressively, step by step, and building a wardrobe which I'm happy with. Nevertheless, the idea that style is something totally personal is not true. I can testify for myself. I've been taking inspiration. I've been influenced by many people. Of course, by the fashion icon that we all love, by the style icon, sorry, that we all love, like Cooper, Grant, Astaire, and some more recent people, uh, the people of, from Pity Womo. We are part of this community. Some people are, some of these people have highly influence a, a whole generation of, of young gentlemen entering the sartorial world. So it means that somehow, of course in fashion is direct. The designer design, the brand is crafting, they put it on the market and uh, people buy. And if this designer decided that this year we have to wear shorts with a suit in pink, uh, more or less with the marketing um, firepower that they have, um, a lot of people will follow this as the flock. But if you look at it from a style perspective, honestly, what Lino Yeluzzi was wearing two pitties ago, what Luca Rubinacci was wearing one pity ago, while when, what a few pity people like that were wearing three pitties ago, you can see it now in the street. So it means it's the same mechanism, except that the span of time is different, but you are influenced by what you see. And the social media today have a strong influence on your choice, your taste, and the way you are dressing. Let's be honest with each other. I know that we all love the idea that style is personal, that we invent everything, that we build our personal style. It's probably true 90%. But there's a little 10%, and we have to be honest with each other, that we are influenced by others. Unlike designers, we never invent something. Somehow, we mimic the people we admire. And that's what I wanted to share with you today. Cheers.